Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. How's everyone this evening? Good? Eric's shaking his head at me already. I don't know. I don't know. Good evening. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. Um, what a privilege it is to be with you tonight. Amen? I don't know. Why do you saying amen for that? Um, I am honored to be here, and uh, I, you know, in that, just feel so blessed. Uh, I want to thank Brandon for inviting me uh, to preach. I know he had a full load with Discipleship Conference. He certainly could have done this, but uh, was, was kind enough to free up the pulpit for me to speak to you guys. All of OTM, I'm sorry. You have to hear me again. Uh, too bad. Um, no, it's good for us to be with you. It is an honor. And, and with that, for me, uh, comes a, a, a lot of nervousness. And I brought that up to my wife, and she said, you know, just, just pretend everyone's naked. And, and I'm just saying, I don't know if that feels right in this place. I don't know. I, you know, maybe public speaking, but in the house of the Lord, I don't know. That's just, so uh, usually very, very helpful. Uh, that, I don't know. Uh, anyway, we're going to get into it tonight. Uh, I want to just let you know that God has put something on my heart, but uh, I intend to simply relay his word to you. And so you may hear things that I say where you think, I don't know about that. And that's perfectly fine for you to think. That's appropriate. You should be thinking that. But where it lines up with the word of God, I pray that you have a heart open and ready to receive what he has. Because if I say something, who cares? But if God says something to you, why would you not respond? Amen? Okay, we can amen to that, I'd hope. As we begin our evening Tonight, I want to ask you a question that I believe will set up the context for our content this evening, and that question is, what is the major or overarching theme of the Bible? Now, without a shadow of a doubt, the resounding answer should be, yeah, the, the king, Jesus, yeah, but the kingdom, right? But the temptation uh, for the New Testament believer in the church age is to think that the cross is the major theme of the Bible. Maybe you were a little shy there, and you thought in your heart, the cross. We hear people say things like, all of the Old Testament is intended to point to the cross, and all the New Testament is intended to point back to the cross, but do realize the Old Testament was written to point us to the day of the Lord. That day, according to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. A day that lasts a thousand years in the kingdom that ever continues into eternity. And do you realize that the New Testament, even the cross, point to Jesus Christ as king? Certainly there are times in the Old Testament we see him as the redeemer, but he is the redeemer king. He is the one on the throne. The first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, is a book dedicated to declaring Christ as king. John the Baptist is coming in heralding the truth that Jesus Christ is king. Behold him who comes and takes away the sins of the world. And do you remember that Christ came into Jerusalem riding on the fold of an ass to fulfill that which was spoken of the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And the common people cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the superscription, even the cross, the superscription riven, written above our Savior, king of the Jews, in Greek and Latin and in Hebrew. And do you remember the question that the apostles asked in Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, as they look back to the cross, they ask a question looking forward to Christ, saying, Lord, who will at this, this time again, or restore again the kingdom to Israel? And even Paul to his son in the faith, reminding him to be unrebukable until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Tonight, we would be in great air to think that the major and overarching theme of the Bible is the cross, one that would be quite self-centered of us, right? You guys have heard this content taught in D2, but we need to be reminded of it, that Christ is king, and for us to think that this life is all about us, we, we miss it because it's about him. 
It doesn't take into account that the God of life could not be stung by death, nor that the grave could hold him down. He ever stands, at the, sits at the right hand of the Father. Nevertheless, there is no king or kingdom without subjects. And that's your first blank, subjects. If you guys have a handout, if you need one, raise your hand. Someone will bring it to you. But the major theme of the Bible is a king and a kingdom, but without subjects, What's the point? And so while the overarching storyline of the Bible is God's kingdom, it is paralleled by another theme, man's stewardship. And that's your second blank. Okay, so then while certainly this book that I hold in my hands is a book about God's kingdom, it is also simultaneously a book about our responsibility to serve in service to our king. Amen? And, and if we miss that, we, we miss it. We miss it altogether. They are two inseparable themes. They are entangled together to the extent that God moves from telling us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 that he created the heaven and earth. In a moment, he spoke and everything existed. But then within 28 verses of a book that contains 31,102 verses, God brings us in to a conversation about how he wants to use mankind in his mission to re restore again the heavens. Amen? This is a book about God, yes, God's kingdom, yes, that's the major theme, but it's also an invitation to us to be a part of what God is doing. Don't miss that. And so when we look through the Bible in the course of human history, we can clearly see God's eternal wisdom as he dispenses unique responsibilities to different stewards throughout time. Take, for example, Colossians chapter 1 and verses 25 through 28. We hear about Paul's unique call to be an apostle out of due time, uh, called to preach to the Gentiles. Paul tells us that he was made a minister according to the dispensation of God that was hid from ages and generations past, but is now made manifest to his saints. What is that? What is that call? What is that dispensation? What is that mystery that he's talking about? This particular one, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so as we look at the, the etymology of that, that word that Paul brings up, dispensation, we find that it's translated from a Greek word transliterated to Strong's G, 3623, oikonomia, oikonomia. Now, see, that joke only works in this crowd. You guys know. That joke only works here. Uh, oikonomia. Okay, so there's a Greek word when you, when you go to pronounce, pronounce that and you, you try to say it in English. It sounds like the, our modern word economy, right? Oikonomia. Now, I'm probably saying that way wrong, but you get the gist. But when the King James translators brought that Greek word into the English text in our King James Bible, they didn't translate it economy. They translated it four times, dispensation, and they translated it three times, stewardship. Those three times that word comes up in the Bible are found in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, which outlined for us a pattern of establishing how God defines a dispensation. Are you guys with me? Are you tracking with me? Are you following? Okay, this is how God defines it. He gives us a verse Paul told his son in the faith, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That tells us two things, that the word of God is to be divided and that it can be divided in a right way, implying that it, it can also be divided in a wrong way. So how is it that I divide the word of God up so that I don't make wrong application to my life? Luke chapter 16, verses one through four. Really, the first two verses give us four characteristics of a dispensation, but I'm going to go ahead and read all four. It says, And he, Christ, said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his, the, the rich man's goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer, no, thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, 
that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. This will be our, our primary text for this evening, but we'll unpack it as we go. This passage gives us four marks for defining what a dispensation is biblically. First, as you can see in your notes, there is a leading steward. We saw that in verse 1. Verse 1 also tells us that that steward had a key responsibility, that he was to be in charge or he was responsible for that, those rich man's goods. The third part or the third characteristic of defining a dispensation is the fact that there is a failure of that stewardship. In the last part of the first verse, we see that this man was accused of wasting the master's goods. And then finally, because of that accusation, there's a judgment of the work. Verse 2 tells us he may no longer be steward. Okay, so as we look through the Bible and we come across these four characteristics and we go, oh yeah, I see that. I see the steward. I see the responsibility. I see the failure. I see the judgment. We make a division. It's, it's that easy. And so classically, uh, we see seven key divisions in the Bible. And so you have a a chart that I actually pulled from Sam Miles' notes in LFBI about the seven dispensations. Um, and so you have those there. We, we see clearly that God has dispensed his grace or dispensed responsibilities to different people through time, asking them to be responsible for different things. And it, remember, it's an economy of God. And so what is the, the, the currency that we're trading with God? We're trading our faith in his word. We're just saying, God, I believe what you told me to do, and so I'm going to do that. And what, is he, what does he do? In return, he gives us grace to be able to fulfill the mission that we need, to, we need to fulfill. That's the only way it gets done. We trade in grace. We don't, we don't make a payment for our salvation. We don't make a payment to serve God in, in, in our acts of service or literally monetary payment. We do it by faith. God, I believe what you said, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey. And so, yeah, we have a unique responsibility in God's kingdom, but we see that, that all through the scriptures. Time of innocence with Adam and consciousness with Adam's sons and government with Noah and Abraham and his sons and the law with Moses leading all the way up through the death of the testator. And we see a, a mystery hid with Paul and a revelation that God had for him that would be distinct and unique, that God would display his infinite wisdom not only to us, but also to the principalities and powers. And as uh, those dispensations conclude a millennium with the Jews, and, and as you see, if you have either you know, magnifying glass or maybe just squinty eyes, um, I'm not getting into any of this tonight. This is like, I mean, that'd be fun. It would be a great temptation to do that, but we're not gonna do that. So it's a shameless plug for LFBI. You need to sign up for dispensational theology. Sign up at lfbi.org, uh, and, and you'll find your place there. Listen, we, we need to realize that the topic of stewardship, when, when Brandon asked me to teach on what is biblical stewardship, it's, it's a topic about the whole Bible. We can't talk about the whole Bible tonight. There's too much content here. I just want you to realize that this, this topic is our lives. It's everything. It's everything about the Bible. It's, it's God's invitation to man to be a part of his kingdom. Do you see that? Okay, so that's what I'm trying to get in our heads tonight. We, we can't talk to that about all of that. So rather, I'd like us to consider general, general principles that come out of the question, what is biblical stewardship, and, and share those principles as they surface when we survey the scriptures, particularly here in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now, I want to make a note that there are many passages and there are many parables about stewardship, and many of those are very Jewish in their context, context, so be very careful not to read into the text an application to the church that isn't there. It's very important for us to understand context. I, I can't really unpack all of that tonight. We're going to be speaking more generally about the topic of stewardship. But realize, as you go to study out this topic in your personal study, that you're going to come across passages that seem confusing. And that's because they're not written to you. But there are principles in them that you can receive. And so on one side, be careful. On the other side, don't run away from them. Don't despise them. Paul told his son in the faith, Beware of them that consent not to even the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You and I have a responsibility to know all of the word of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and know how it applies to us. But tonight, for an introductory study, I want us to focus devotionally on principles that emerge from Luke 16, but that I believe are congruent with all the other dispensations, including the church days. There's no contradiction about anything that we're going to be looking at. And so as we begin, we must get settled this evening, and this is our first key point for study, and that is that a steward must learn to manage all of their master's goods. Your blank is manage. Wow. Not managing this pulpit very well. This is like identical to the one I have back home, and probably because I think my dad built this or something. Um, but, but I don't have this little section here, so if I do that again, sorry. Um, we need to see that we are managers and not owners. That's really the thought here. That's, that's the main point. We are managers, not owners. That's a simple thing. You guys that have been in Discipleship One know that. I'm not going to tell you anything this evening that you don't already know, and so be careful to, to despise what I'm saying, thinking, yeah, I know that. Oh, I wish God would tell me something new. No, maybe you need to be reminded of some things that you've forgotten. We're managers, not owners. God owns everything because he created everything. We have any creators here? We have any artists, any musicians, any craftsmen, any flautists? No flautists. Is it not true that when you make something, you have ownership of the thing you make because it's yours? You were the one who came up with the idea. You were the one that put the work into it. And so it's yours simply by the fact that you made it or you created it, yes? It's what allows you to sell a thing or an idea. Likewise, does God not have rights over the things that he's made? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created just a few things. No, all things, and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, just a few things were, were made by him. No, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Any questions? No, it's everything. David said in Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Therefore, as stewards of God's goods, we manage everything that it may be pleasing to him because he owns everything. And the only reason we have anything is because God gave it to us in the first place. Has not every good and perfect gift come down from the Father of light, light in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning? It's all from him. That's why we have anything that we have. Okay, that includes our time. That includes our talent, and that includes our, yeah, treasures. You, you guys know, right? And this is the problem. Because we know this stuff, sometimes we just make it an idiom that we, we kind of live by or we kind of set in the back of our minds. And we don't realize that time and talent and treasures is just part of what God's expecting us to manage. It's everything, because everything's, everything is his so yes, it includes your time, your talent, and your treasures, but it could also include your upbringing, your cultural background, your nationality, your thought life, your emotions, your prayers, your poverty, your pain, your second language. How are you using that for the glory of God? Are you hiding it? Are you ashamed of where you come from? No, use it for his glory. The abuse you faced when you were young. The fact that your parents got divorced when you all left for college. The fact that your brother or sister died. Your parents died. The fact that you bounced from wacky church to wackier church to IHOP. Your giftings as an athlete. Your, your time with, I'm, I'm, I know, that was a joke, but I, I, I am serious there as well. Like I think about my brother who, who did hop from, from Reformed Church to Reformed Church to non-denom to like a pretty good Baptist church, and he just was all over the place. And now he's able to minister to people because of this experience that he has. That's a, a particular type of treasure that he's able to minister for the Lord. 
And we all have things like that in our life, like a unique story that God gave you that you can use and you can manage for his glory. Do not despise those things. Oh, I just come from a really bad, bad background and I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just so poor, I can't do anything for God. Be like Gideon, be full of faith. Stop being afraid of all of those things. Step into to the person that God wants you to be. I have my own story. I can despise being a white dude from suburbia. Like I'm like every other guy that lives in this country. No, listen, I have a particular story that God has for other people. And so I need to manage that for his glory. What a stupid thing to be insecure about. And some of us are insecure that we grew up in the church. And praise God that you grew up in the church and that you didn't have to live like some of us lived. (laughs) I gotta figure this thing out, it's new to me. The time with your roommates. How are you gonna steward that? You wanna be married really bad. You can't even figure out how to live with someone. The, bar- the, barrenness, the barrenness of your womb. The incurable health problem that the doctors can't even figure it out, out an answer for. Your horrible boss, your countenance. The fact that you can walk and see and hear. The way you choose to dress and cut your hair. I mean, I think we forget about all of the things that we have an opportunity to manage for for God. Okay, so don't make time, talent, and treasure an idiom that you set in the back of your mind and you think, yeah, I'll kind of decide what I want to give God. No, it doesn't work that way. Take suffering, for example, in the believer's life. You know, though God isn't the minister of evil and confusion, there are at times he will permit it to give us an opportunity to be conformed into the image of Christ through it. So how are you going to manage your sufferings, your bad day, your bad circumstances, your upbringing? Will you use those things to justify your depression and your sin habit, or will you choose to manage them and use them as a method of glorifying God and the kingdom of God? Yeah, I know I'm in this really rough situation. God, God's, I don't know, I just don't really see him coming through. Or, yes, I'm in this really rough situation, but you know what? God's been good to me at the least You know, I can't really see what he's doing right now, but at least he saved my soul. He loved me enough to die for me. I I can't really figure out what he's doing, but you know what? I know his grace is sufficient for me in this. It does hurt. It is hard. But I'm going to manage the suffering for him and for his glory. Do you see it? Everything. Everything. We do it all for him. So first we need to see that we're not uh, owners, we're managers. But secondly, under this first point, we need to realize that we are managers of the master's house. When we survey the Bible and we look at words like stewardship or steward or stewards, we always find it related to a household and the possessions within that house that the Lord owns. In other words, it's related to the things that the master has received to himself or purchased. So then the steward is responsible for managing the household and its purchased possessions. Take the first mention of the word stewards in the Bible in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 1. It says that the stewards were over all the substance and possessions of the king. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And guess what? You are that possession In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, it says that the Ephesians had heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and they had believed and that they had been sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise, which was the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, what is that purchased possession? Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 says, to wit, the redemption of our body. That's the thing that we wait for. When you got saved, guess what? Your your flesh didn't get saved. Your flesh is still as rotten as it was day one of salvation. But you know what? God has promised the fact that he will, in a twinkling, twinkling of an eye, change that. You know, you've been adopted, predestinated. That's not referring to your salvation. You've been predestinated to have an inheritance as a child of God. The the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. What? Know ye not that your body is the household of the Holy Ghost, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. 
which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. They're yours, but they're his. I know they're yours. They feel really, I mean, like, like my voice, my body, it feels like mine, but guess what? It's been bought. It's not mine anymore. I just have it until the day I die. Somebody else is in, in ownership of it. The man who paid for it. So yes, I'm his because he created me, but I'm his because he purchased me. I'm his possession. He owns me. I manage my life for him. And this leads us to our second key point for study, and that is a steward must learn to mortify themselves so that they don't waste the goods. You must mortify yourself and your body. And I'll just repeat here that the fastest way you can fail in your stewardship and waste your life is to misappropriate who owns it, who's in control of it, who's the master of it, and ultimately, who is the Lord of your life? Who's the one calling the shots? Do you consult God on anything? Some of you are thinking to, off, you know, to going to, to college or maybe getting your master's degree or maybe getting that job or dating this girl or, or him or her or this or that. And you've never, you're about to make a big decision and you've never consulted God on it once. Who's really in charge of your life? Who is the one making the shots? Who's, who's the one that has ownership of everything that you are? Is it him or is it you? Lord, Lord, sure. Yeah, yes, let me first go. And, and really at the end of the day, it's you. You're the one calling the shots. The fastest way you're gonna waste your life is misappropriating it, who owns it. So if you've convinced yourself that, listen carefully here, that you're the owner of your life and that you are managing your goods and your body for the glory of God, then you've missed the critical point. God hasn't given you things to own so that you can own things and manage them for God. God's given you things that are his and he owns them. And you manage those for God. And there is a distinction there. If we fail to see that distinction, we will waste our stewardship. Because one of the possessions is our body as stewards. Ye are not your own. So don't waste your life serving self and feeding your flesh. Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. If you do that, you're going to die. But if, you live, but, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. In other words, you don't owe your flesh anything. You don't owe it anything. You're not indebted to its impulses, and you aren't required to make monthly payments. You don't owe it anything. There's no loan out. That's not what you're indebted to. We are debtors, but we're not debtors to the flesh. Why? Because our sin debt was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are now debtors to him. Let not sin therefore reign. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 says, In your mortal body that ye should obey it and the lust thereof. When your flesh says just another bite, just another drink, just another look, just another touch, just another word, then you should cry out like the psalmist of the captivity in Psalm 116 and verse 16 who said, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. You've loosed them. I belong to you now. I know I was a slave to sin, but now, God, I just want to serve you. I know I am a servant. I'm a slave for you. Man, and what freedom we have as slaves to be ever bound to his grace. God, I know in light of what you've done that it's only my reasonable service to lay my life down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. God, it's only reasonable in light of what you've done. God, thank you for loosing my bonds. Luke chapter 16, verses one through two in the first part, it says, and the steward was accused unto the rich man that he had wasted his goods, and he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Now, you guys know what it means to waste something, right? Anybody? You're an American. I mean, some of you. I maybe offended some of you. Like, Americans are really bad about wasting stuff, right? You just, I mean, anybody ever been to a thrift store? Wait, who, who, am I, who, am I, who am I kidding? I'm talking to young adults in Lee Summit and, and Kaya. You guys have been to thrift stores. You've seen the electronics section, yeah? Yeah, you know, we can say it together. Wasted. 
Wasted, endless things wasted. Amazon overstock stores or return stores, wasted. You've been digging through those nasty bins. Eric hasn't. He's giving me a stanky face. (laughs) That leftover pizza from Spin that had way too much salad dressing on it to begin with that you put in your fridge and you left there expecting to eat it, but you knew you actually weren't going to eat it, wasted. Yeah. The corners of that peanut butter jar that's been left in the pantry for six months that got kind of pushed to the side by the new peanut butter jar that's really creamy and delicious, and you think that somebody else is going to use that, or at least you hope so. Yeah, that crunchy old peanut butter that needs to be eaten, wasted. The 12-hour day that me and my brother had last year in the mud and rain trying to transport cedar trees to our yard only to watch them die as spring came this year, those 12, those 12 hours Wasted. (laughs) Uh, Those 20 minutes you you still play video games as a a grown adult. Yo, that was not a joke at all. Maybe the 20 minutes part. Because some of you play video games for like four hours a day. Wasted. Listen, I'm saying 20 minutes wasted. I mean, if you need that, if that's like your your thing, you kind of rest doing that. Okay, whatever. I'm not, I'm not. Let's not go there. I'm just saying you're a grown adult and you play video games. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> what are you freaking doing with your life? I'm se- Yo, I'm serious. You think I'm not, it's not a joke. It's a joke because some of us actually live that way. And we know there's just ridiculous things that we do just to waste time. That money I spent on that massage gun that looked really cool on that Amazon ad that I've only used like five times because you can't massage your own back. And my, and my wife's pretty small and it vibrates her and she gets a little bit uneasy and anxious about it. Yeah, that money wasted. The, the time, the time and the energy we spend on things that we can't control, wasted. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting the things that God's given you. He's given you your emotions. He's given you your energy. Why are you wasting on those, those things? Don't, don't waste those things. Those two years I spent at UMKC more focused on a degree that I don't even use now than the souls of my lost classmates all around me wasted. Those idle words and those jokes that tear people down that don't work edification in the body of Christ, wasted words man, I had a great opportunity to to build up my brother or my sister in Christ. And you know what I I used my words to do instead? Say say something snarky. Say something passive. Not say anything at all. Luke chapter 16 and verse 2, it says, And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. At any moment now, in a twinkling of an eye, we will all individually be standing before a throne, giving an account of our particular stewardship of the gospel. Now understand, in this dispensation, we've been called to preach the gospel and to make disciples and to be stewards over the mysteries of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Some of us don't even know those. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the world. And at that time, when we stand before him, we will not be judged for our sin. That was judged on the cross. At that time, we will be judged for our service and obeying the Great Commission. How are you doing, Christian, with sharing the gospel, with making that secret in your heart known? At that time, there will be no more opportunity to preach the gospel, reach the lost, make disciples. It'll just be us giving an account for how we invested our lives into others, how we took the things that were invested in us and we invested them and others. And so this leads us to our third key point for study this evening, and that is that a steward must learn to multiply the investment that they have been given. Man, it's, it's great that you are mortifying your flesh so that you can manage the, the rich man's goods, but that's not enough. It's not enough just to manage. You must multiply the investment that's been made in you. A steward must multiply the investment that they've been given. So yes, it's true that Christ died for me, bought me, and therefore I'm to mortify my flesh as a steward of that possession. But in his his death and resurrection, he also gave me life and liberty, not to pursue happiness, but to multiply the investment he made in me and others that they might glorify the Father. You know, I'm limited in my ability to bring glory to God. At the judgment seat, I will just have myself unless I bring people with me 
and they can glorify God too. And so I multiply the investment that's made in me, the life that he gave me, I, I multiply that in others. And so, so that they can do that in other people too. So that when I'm standing before the judgment seat, I'm not just standing there alone. I'm standing there with, with hundreds, if not thousands of people who are gonna glorify Christ. Man, what, what, why, do, why did I even say a thousand? Why not more? Why is my faith so small? Galatians chapter five and verse 13, it says, for brethren, ye have been called into liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so yes, it's true, you're the, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, but we are too. We're in the house of the living God. First Peter chapter two and verse five says, ye also as lively stones are built up together, a spiritual house in whom ye also are builded together according to Ephesians chapter two and verse 22, for an inhabitation of God through the spirit. Paul then goes on in Galatians chapter six and verse 10 to tell us that as we have opportunity, we ought to do good unto all men, especially them that are of the household of faith. Paul said to his son in the faith, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, that the church is the house of the living God. So how are you investing your life in the church here at Midtown Baptist Temple in Kaya, back home at Living Faith in Lee Summit, wherever you may come from? How is it that you're investing? How is it that you are stewarding the master's house? Yes, that's your body. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. You need to mortify your flesh daily. You need to take up your cross. But how are you taking up your cross for your brothers and sisters? How are you using the liberty that you've been given to love and serve one another? There's a time coming that we won't be able to plant or to build. And so as we saw earlier in our second key point for study, uh, that we should not waste our lives by being selfish. But I, I wanna say here as well that we should not waste our lives by being a sloth or a slug. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 9 says, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Slothful. One way you can be wasteful is being selfish. Another way you can be wasteful is just not doing anything with the investment you've been given at all. Not multiplying. Playing video games for 20 minutes. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. See, the sluggard, what he does is he doesn't want to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so rather than engaging in the affairs of life, he gets entangled by them and he allows the thorns of life to grow up and choke out the fruit that God intends for his life. He makes excuses. It's just too cold. It's too hard. I can't show up to church. I can't invest in that person. Sorry, that's actually like me, like kind of getting stuffed up. Ah, Therefore, because of that, he shall beg and harvest and have nothing. See, it is one thing to waste your goods by abusing them or not using them all up to be selfish. And we actually would see that if we were just reading through the gospel of Luke, we would see that in Luke chapter 15 with the story of the prodigal of the son, the same conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, by the way, that, they, that this young man had wasted his life with riotous living Luke chapter 15 and verse 13, it says that the younger son gathered all together and took the journey to, into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. One way you can waste your life is by being selfish and not mortifying the deeds of the flesh, flesh and living a riotous life. Yes, but another way that you can waste your goods is by being a sloth, slothful, or being a sluggard. Both are bad and the temptation sometimes as Christians is to think, I would never waste my life just doing cocaine and, and drinking and getting wasted and sleeping around. And man, the world is so nasty. But what do we do? We take the things that God give, gives us and we do nothing. We're silent. We're spending our hours scrolling rather than meeting up with someone. We do nothing. Man, to me, that's more of a shame at least the other things are being used. There's not even really an investment given there. But for us, who have been given a lot, too much is given, much is required. And so we just, man, we take, we take what God's done in us and we give it to others. If you don't know me, I'm actually not being hard on you. 
I want you to be rich at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm trying to say a hard thing because I know it might be what just one person in, in this room needs. And maybe, maybe it's that one, one person who's gonna change this world and this city. Maybe a man in here that's gonna be the next, next pastor of Midtown Baptist Temple. Don't waste your life on yourself and don't waste it by doing nothing. Luke chapter 16 and verse three, it says, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, and to beg I am ashamed. Now when we look at that word dig, through the word of God, we see that it's either in reference to planting or gardening, like, like plowing, or it's in reference to building or pouring a foundation. Your cross-reference there would be Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 through 48. Either way, the steward is no longer able to plow and no longer able to pour his foundation upon the rock, which is Christ. Likewise, he is ashamed to beg, knowing that the accusation that's been made against him is true. He's not, he's not going to beg because he knows he wasted his life. He knows it. And it just makes me wonder how many of us will receive reward at the judgment seat of Christ and how many of us will suffer loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You're God's husbandry. You are God's building. That's what you're a steward of. Verse 13, And every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. In other words, if it be good or bad, the motivation by which you did things, even if they're good, they can be bad if they're motivated uh, wrongly. Verse 14, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So it truly does just make me wonder how many of us will have our ticket to heaven. We are truly saved, but when we stand before God, we're going to ask within ourselves, what shall I do? What shall I do? I cannot dig, and I'd be ashamed to beg right now. I know I wasted my life. Now, the inter interesting thing about this story is that there's another opportunity given to this man. There, there's still space for him to redeem the time. That's what verse four tells us. And so that time in our life when we, we stand before God, it hasn't come yet. And so we just have a little bit of space to take everything that God's given us and to manage it for his glory. But you know what? This man didn't do that. He didn't do that. Our fourth key point for study this evening is that a steward must learn to maximize their yield or the amount of fruit that they're going to have at the judgment seat of Christ by being faithful. By being faithful. You, you maximize your yield by being fruitful? No. By being faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 through 10, it says, Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absence we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. When you give an account for your stewardship, will you be ashamed to beg or will you be unashamed to bless God for the fruit of your labor knowing that, that he's been faithful in your life and knowing that you have because of it, that he's extended grace to you? Luke chapter 16 and verse 4 says that the steward, knowing that he had been wasteful, upon internalizing what he should do, comes up with a brilliant idea to try and circumnavigate suffering loss. So, the rich man says, I'm going to take away the stewardship from you. And then the steward says, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and this is verses 5 through 8. He says, I'm going to go to my Lord's debtors, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell them, oh, you, you, owe, you owe them $60,000? Just, just write 30. I got you. Oh, oh, oh you, you owe my, my, my Lord $20,000? He doesn't know. Just write, just write 10. No big deal. I got you. He's trying to earn favor. He's trying to circumnavigate the loss that he was informed that he would suffer. 
And verse 8 says this. This is the rich man's response. Luke chapter 16 and verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. And the Lord commended? Commended the the unjust steward because he had done done wisely? Wait, what? It's kind of a confusing passage when when you approach it. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, understand that this man was unrighteous and unjust in his decision making, but it was more commendable to his Lord that he was at least attempting to redeem the time rather than just do nothing. It was more commendable, even with it being unrighteous. At least he was faithful. At least he did something. At least he tried to take the time that he had left and and do something with it. It was wisdom. The problem was it was the wisdom of the world. He was a wise man, but he was not faithful in the unrighteous mammon. That's just the Aramaic word for money. Verse 10 goes on to say, Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, no one is going to hear, well done, thou good and fruitful servant. Well done, thou thou good and fruitful servant. Because God's responsible for that. God's the one who brings the increase. All you and I are called to do is to be faithful. And in faithfulness, we maximize our opportunity to yield fruit. I think sometimes when we we think about maximizing our lives for God, and I know that word's kind of obnoxious, okay? When we maximize our lives for God, we think, man, I need to be really fruitful. That's like our natural temptation. I need to be really fruitful for God. And the reality is the word of God says we just need to take care of one thing, be faithful. And in faithfulness, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna bear fruit. Because if you abide in him, What's the promise? You're going to bear fruit. John chapter 15. You want to be fruitful and you want to win people to Christ? Well, stop focusing on the fruit and just be faithful to hit the streets and open your mouth. At some point, the seed will fall on good ground. But you know what? If you never show up, you're never going to have fruit. You want to, you want to win people to Christ, but you never open your mouth? That doesn't work. I know that may be too obvious for some, but listen, I know there's some people who who really want to win souls. They want to be counted wise, but then somehow they they convince themselves that they can remain silent and do that. That's impossible. You can't hold doors open for people and win them to Christ. Oh, I need to to be saved? Thank you. You opened a door for me? I'm a sinner, and I need to get right with God? Tell me how. Oh, wait, no, no, don't even tell me. Just show me. Open that door again. (laughs) Come on. I know it's ridiculous, but we act that way. You want to have fruitful, quiet time? You've got to be faithful to showing up. You want to have fruit in your study of God's word? Well, well, it begins with with showing up. And now at this point, I'm not suggesting that attendance is faithfulness. I'm just trying to say that it begins there. It, It has to start there. We have to show up to Bible study man, I really want to know God's word. You got to show up first. And then once you're there, it's not just attending, it's being attendant to the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found fruitful. Faithful. Yeah, faithful. And I'm afraid that one of, the greatest, one of our greatest mistakes and is despising being faithful in that which is least. Okay, so we're talking about maximizing fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. We're talking about being faithful. And the first part of faithfulness that we see here in this passage is being faithful in that which is least. We're gonna see two other things here in a moment. The first is that which is least. That should be your blank. Something Jesus calls in a similar parable, a very little thing or the smallest of matters. And I just think that some of us despise the little things. <sighs> the smallest of matters. We don't, we don't think they matter. Luke chapter 19 and verse 17, it, it says, and, and he said unto him, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over 10 cities. 
Listen, y'all, I, just don't, I don't wanna just manage the master's possessions. I, I don't want to just occupy or trade 10 pounds for 10 pounds, Luke chapter 19. Five pounds for five pounds. I, I want my life to matter. I want it to be, be multiplying by a greater factor than two. I wanna invest my life than, than, and in more than one person, and that's gonna require my faithfulness. Okay. So listen, if there's anything I need you to get down tonight, it's this, that God would maximize our life's investment and yield to profit as much as a potato in a bag of Lay's potato chips. 2% potato, 8% oil, uh, 40% air, 50% marketing. Is that, is that how it works? Oh God, please maximize my life like this potato. May the trials of my faith fry me like one of these delectable chips. That's, that's not what our prayers sound like sometimes, so ridiculous. May the essential oils of your Holy Spirit fill the caverns of my potato-like frame. And God, please keep my mouth always seasoned with grace. And don't let the salt lose its saltiness. And dear God, while I'm here, I just want to lift up my, my brother Pringles. He's a little fragile right now and trying to cover up his lack of intimacy with you by adding nasty pizza flavoring. So pragmatic. God, I really don't know how to pray for him right now, but would you just help him to be content in you? Uh, I don't actually know how much potato is in a bag of potato, uh, Lay's potato chips, but it can't be much. And man, those potatoes are maximizing all that they've got. It's pretty impressive. Uh, okay, don't miss the point. You can flip the slide so that we're not all distracted. I don't want to just multiply the investment God's made in me and one other person. I, I want his, the seed of his word to fall from my mouth on good ground so that it might bring forth some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. I, I want people to receive the word of God and take hold of it and multiply it in their lives more than I could ever do. Do you not want that? I want that. Do you not want that? Man, I want to be fruitful at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't, I don't know what you think about God. I don't know what you think about his kingdom. I don't know how you think about, about the judgment seat of Christ, but it's not gonna be fun. It's gonna be the terror of the Lord if we come there empty-handed, ashamed to beg with nothing. You know where that begins? Being faithful with very little things. Listen, I, I don't, I don't want to live a life as if I have 80 years. I, I want to live a life of 800 or, or 8 million. God, would you give me other people to extend the, the efforts of my life further? Help me to maximize everything that I have for you. That begins with the very little things. Man, that's a big dream. And when I think about the mission of God and what God's called us to, to bring his gospel message to the nations, I can be overwhelmed. I can't get that done by myself. But you know what I can get done by myself? Waking up every morning, or for me, spending every single night thinking about his word, meditating on his word, praying, asking him, what would you have me to do? That's a little thing. And you know what that little thing leads to? Being ruler of 10 cities. Being a missionary who's overseeing other pastors in, in 10 cities. Now, obviously, there's a doctrinal application here and prophetic application. I'm not, I'm not there. This begins with little things. Cleaning the church when no one's looking. Reading your Bible when no one's looking. Bring a study. Bringing a, a Bible study to Bible study. Uh, showing up to church for prayer night. Man, I, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a church planner. Bro, you don't even know how to brush your teeth at night. And you just figured out how to wear deodorant. And it, and it seems that you haven't been able to keep a job for more than eight, eight months. Listen, your, your zeal is really honorable, and I actually commend you for that. If, if your heart is to be a missionary or a pastor, praise God. Maybe God does want to do that in your life, wants to do that in your life. You know where it begins? I'm for real, you brushing your teeth at night. Oh, no, God doesn't care about that. You despise a little thing. You despise a little thing. Ah, yeah, I know what you're saying, but that's too, that's too in, insignificant for God. And you know what? I might actually agree with you, but what, what's not too insignificant for God is your attitude. 
towards those things. And that's the issue. It's not the little things. It's not that which is least. It's your attitude towards them. He's asked you to steward everything. And you think, ah, that's not that big of a deal. No, your health is a big deal. You ought to take care of it. It's, it's a small thing. I know you think it doesn't matter, but that which is least. Yeah, I hear it's a character issue, not a practical one. I, I hear you. But you're just talking about temporal things. Those things don't matter. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, your second blank here, the temporal things, or the temporal, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You only show up to church when it's your day to serve, but then you expect one of the leaders to hand you something? Listen, faithful in that which is least. You want to lead the bride of Christ, but you're still struggling to lead your wife? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Begin there. You really want to lead? You, you want to be in charge of spiritual things? Figure out the physical. Figure out the, the temporal things first. Figure out your relationships just in life or at the workplace. I mean, I think some of us really struggle to even have Work like good, healthy work sh- sh- workplace relationships. Miles will be speaking on that, I think, tomorrow. And we got to figure that out. That's a temporal thing. It's a small thing, but it proves something about our character that God does care about. Okay. And so if, if you don't know how to submit to your Bible study leader when they ask you to bring a devotion, but yet you want to go start your own thing, like what the what? Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, but that doesn't matter because I'll learn how to submit to God once I'm in charge. Verse 12, Luke chapter 16, verse 12. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that you asked me to bring that study. I, I get it. And I was just a really busy week. And then the next week, the same thing. And maybe they bring it another time, and maybe they don't. Yeah, 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 I get you're asking me to do that, but this submission thing, like the reason I'm not gonna submit is because I don't agree with you. I know God's put you in charge, and that technically me submitting to God is submitting to you in the structure that I'm in right now, but you know, at some point when God really puts me in charge, then I'll learn how to submit to them. I I know I'll do that. That's really my heart. That's my intentions. I wanna just be right with God. I wanna submit to him. But you can't do it when it's another man's, when it's not even your responsibility. Come on. In closing, I want to submit to you that you cannot serve God and yourself. But before we get there, I just want to remind you that you're going to maximize your life by being faithful in that which is least, and that which is temporal, and that which is another man's. And I think about Nehemiah. You guys know the story of Nehemiah? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm about here five minutes over, out of time. Am I all right? All right. I think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the men, the three men that helped lead the nation of Israel back to Jerusalem to to rebuild the city. And Nehemiah was was responsible for rebuilding the walls, Haggai the temple, Ezra the the civil life. And and I just think about Nehemiah's life. And before he was a, a, a GM for a commercial construction project, he was a cupbearer for the king. You guys know the story? And every single day, his responsibility was a little thing. Take the cup, drink, make sure the king doesn't die. And so every single day, what did he do? He, he was faithful in that which was least. And he, and he takes the drink and he lives as if he's dead. He learned how to mortify his life and manage that little thing for the king. You get it? Cup bearing doesn't equip you to lead commercial like to be a GM on a commercial building project. How did the one thing equip him for the other? See, over here, when he was, he was cupbearing, he didn't learn how to build walls and oversee people. He learned how to serve a king. That's what he did. The small thing taught him how to serve a king and how to die daily. So when he came over here and he was building walls, he's like, you know what? I don't really know how to do this, but I know how to serve a king. I know how to die daily. I know how to be faithful in that which is least. I know how to be faithful in another's. 
I know how to die so that the king's kingdom can be multiplied. Man, Nehemiah, what a faithful man. Faithful in that which is least. The little thing, it matters because it's a character issue. The small thing sets up the character issues that you need over here. They taught you a moral responsibility to do what was right when no one was looking and it didn't matter. But now you're in a position of authority and it's pretty easy because you learned how to do it there. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Moreover, God has called us to be stewards and as such, we must first realize that we are not owners of the possessions, but we are to manage the owner's household, which we are. And if you don't take hold of that truth, you're going to end up wasting your life, and me too. And so therefore, as stewards, we mortify our bodies because we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, but we're debtors to God. He bought us. Our life, our life is his. Verse 2 says, the rich man says, how is it that I hear this of thee? How is it that a people who has been bought with the precious blood of Christ could waste that investment on themselves? How is it that I heard this of, of you, of all people, the church, the one who's been given most? How is it that you wasted everything? So we also learn from God's word that we're not to just sit and manage everything that God owns, but we're to multiply it and see other people do that. And as managers, if we don't reproduce the investment made in us, then we will be counted slothful or wicked. Matthew 25 and verse 24 through 26, it says, then he, which had received one, of the, uh, one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and and went and hid thy talent in the earth, lo, there thou hast is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knew that I reaped where I sowed not and gathered where I had not strawed. So don't be slothful, don't be a slug, don't be a wicked servant and do nothing with the investment that you've been given. Don't hide your resources in this earth. That's your money, that's your time, your talent. There's some people that are really talented and they need to be giving the thing that God's given them to the ministry. But they're busy giving their thing that God's given them to their own lives. Like, I, I grew up creating and building a lot. And what I could do is just go run off and start an, a custom home business. Now I'm in that with my dad. I mean like scale that and like grow it and just love that. But you know what God's called me to do? Plant churches. And so at some point, I need those skills to be applied in, oh, Living Faithfully Summit. There's some walls that need to be tore down. There's some sheetrock work that needs to be done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give my life to that. What's the thing that God's given you to be faithful in? Faithful in that which is least, faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and faithful in, in another man's. So you to manage, you're to mortify, you're to multiply, you're to maximize. But what if God hasn't given me a Bible study yet? Well, then learn to submit to the one you're at. What about a ministry fellowship? God hasn't given me that yet. Well, learn to just be submitted where you're at. And then in time, God will give that to you. If you can't first learn how to be a follower, you're never gonna learn how to lead people that are following. It's a simple thought. There's so many more practical things that we could get into. Just like endless things. Obviously, this is about our whole lives. Um, but if we want to trust and be entrusted with things uh, that, that are our own, um, the true riches of Christ, to, to invest in things that matter, taking the word of God, investing it into the souls of men, okay, then it begins with being faithful in all of these things. And so if Seth, I don't know if Seth's leading or closing out the night, but I'm wrapping uh, up, and, and truly that means I'm done, uh, not like, pastor, like I'm wrapping up and it's 20 more minutes. I don't mean that. I know I've gone long. And I appreciate your guys' attention. You've been very attentive uh, to my words and I, I pray God as well. Um, 
But as, as well, if the Bible study leaders um, or the counselors want to come forward, there's going to be an invitation for you to just respond to everything I was sharing tonight. And that would include Living Faithly Summit. If there's any Bible study leaders that want to come forward at this time, you guys can make your way. We're going to praise. We're going to end our service in, in song. But if there's something that you need to deal with, I just pray you'd get it dealt with. Man, like repentance and, and growing in the Lord doesn't have to be like this dreadful thing. What it means is that you get to be used of God. How special that we'd be able to, to come to a place where we're not wasting our lives. Okay, y'all, I don't know what you needed to hear tonight, but may God have his perfect way in us right now and for this weekend, and may he alone be glorified by all those he calls his stewards. And so you have some questions on your handout, and there's some questions on the screen. And if you're thinking, I really don't know exactly how to respond, maybe just think about answering these questions and thinking, can I make this a prayer point? All right, I love you guys. I don't know what God said to you tonight, but I pray that you would not hold on to that investment and do nothing with it. Amen. I love you. God bless. If I've never met you, come find me. I'd love to just get to know you and, and hear your story. Please sit where you're at. Stand as we continue in worship or come forward as you need. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.